Sean McCarran is an animator, storyboard artist, and now filmmaker with over 20 years of industry experience. He has worked on numerous television and feature film productions in Europe and North America, including roles at Oscar-nominated Irish Studio Cartoon Saloon and Oscar-winning Norwegian Studio Microfilm. Now, the animated short film Corvine is Sean's first and created by his company, McCarran Productions, based in Vancouver, British Columbia. Now, Sean McCarran's beautiful tale, Corvine, shares a story of a boy who loves nature, especially crows. And as an eccentric boy, he has trouble fitting in at school due to this obsession with the crows. Now, screened at numerous prestigious international film festivals and capturing many awards in the process, Corvine will receive its New York premiere at the Tribeca Film Festival. So, ladies and gentlemen, let's welcome multi-talented animator and filmmaker Sean McCarran and his award-winning animated short film, Corvine, to the show. Welcome, Sean. Hello. Thank you very much. Hi, how are you? I'm doing great. Well, you know, you've been at this animation for a very long time. How did you get into it? Um, As a kid, I always loved drawing, and I just never stopped. And it just became something that, as I grew up and watching more and more cartoons, it just felt like a natural fit for me. Well, Well, when did you decide to try filmmaking? but staying with animation. Um, That was just quite recently. I've been working in the industry for 20 years and uh, always doing animation and storyboard, but I just wanted to try and tell my own stories and uh, see what I could do and really branch out and, and try my hand at a little bit more of everything rather than just one specific little alley. So I started this film uh, eight years ago, and it took eight years to create the final product. Wow! So when did so did you already have the story already written eight years ago, or was it just the process over the eight years of fine tuning the story? Um, I came up with the idea eight years ago, and then it took five uh, years, kind of, from the initial idea to the storyboarding and just getting all the revisions and all the, the story worked out, so. Well, yeah. where, where did your inspiration for Corvine actually come from? Um, my father, as uh, a child, uh, I had just moved, we had moved into a new neighborhood and it was kind of surrounded by uh, trees. There weren't a lot of houses at the time. And so there was a lot of crows in the neighborhood. And my dad has a wonderful crow call that he would do and he would go out in the yard and he would call to the birds and uh, they would respond to him and and come in for a closer look and we just thought it was really funny and so years later when I'm making this film I got my dad into the sound booth to create his crow call and that's the, the the voice of the little boy in the film so that is your father doing the crow call in the film that is my father yeah that is an inc- that is a fantastic story, and you know when I watched Corvine, I was extremely impressed because it's a simple story, but there's a twist to it, and it's it's a beautiful story. And you let the animation and the music tell the story. Why did you decide to go dialogue free? Um, I like. The idea of telling a story with no dialogue because it's 
accessible to anyone, anywhere. And it's just a, a lovely thing to be able to share with people and have them all come together. And it doesn't matter where they're from or what language they speak. Um, it's just a universal kind of simple story, like you say, that just comes across stronger, I think, without dialogue. Well, when you were growing up as a kid, were you always in front of the TV on Saturday mornings watching Bugs Bunny and things oh, like that? Abs absolutely. Bugs Bunny, uh, a lot of Disney, Astro Boy, uh, so many all the time. Yeah. You know, if I, if I think back, I believe that Tom and Jerry was one of the ones that really used music um, as a form of dialogue. Yes, yeah, and that was uh, that is a big part of this film as well, and getting the right person um, to do the music to bring that to life is is so important. And uh, I found a composer in Toronto, uh, Suad Bushnak, who is actually also going to be in Tribeca for the film festival, which I'm delighted about because I haven't met her personally. We just worked online and as you do now these days so i haven't met her um but we're gonna see each other in new york well i you know i was kind of wondering because uh how did you meet her because she is an award-winning film composer so how did you meet her and have her score your film um i went through uh, a music agency here in vancouver and uh, i showed them my film in progress and they said, we have someone for you. And I said, okay. And uh, they sent me on Suad and I listened to her music and I said, wow, this is amazing. It's just so beautiful. And it was just a, a fit. We, I didn't look any further and that was, that was it. And when it came to actually making the music and scoring the film, uh, I had very little we, we chatted about what I wanted and I gave it over to her and she came back with just flawless and uh, there's very little back and forth after that point she just had the film she knew now did you have to fully animate this film for her to score it I did yes so um, that was part of the long process um, there was very little money and I couldn't get funding for a long time so it was generally me doing most of the work. So the storyboarding, uh, and then I had to get all the rough animation. So animation is done in kind of two stages, a, a rough kind of loose stage. And then after you go in and clean it up and do a final line and make it look really nice. And so I had to get the, the rough animation all done myself, which is a big task. And it was at that point I could get some funding. Wow. So, you know, for all of us that are not uh, well versed in the art of animation and to create a story and bring it to life, do you write some sort of script prior to going to the storyboard to kind of lay out the scenes, how you want the story to be told before you actually start drawing it? Um, in many cases people do um my process was I'm, I'm kind of very strong visually and i i'm more comfortable with drawing so 
I just kind of started doing what we call thumbnails, um, which are really tiny little drawings and they're just symbols really. And I kind of laid it out that way. So I kind of went in drawing right away and I would make little lists of like things that would happen and like, oh, he's running out of the house now and then neighbors. And then, you know, you just make a list of just the various little sequences and story points and you would reorganize them, but it was mostly drawing. So there was never, never a script, and there still isn't a script for the film. That is absolutely incredible, and that just that just really, uh, really shines upon your talent as an animator. Just to look at a blank canvas or a blank storyboard and lay it all out. I mean, how many how many storyboards did you actually have to go through to really think? Okay, this is the story. Oh my God. Yeah. You're, you're drawing constantly and you have many different ideas and you go off on little tangents and you know, you're lying all the pages around you and looking at this and like, no, that's not working. And so I was, you know, I was working on, on paper for the, for the early stages and just kind of laying it out. And then after I get kind of all the ideas, I go in and, and redraw the whole thing again as a, on paper, as a full start to, to end process. And then you, I ended up drawing it again and like going into the computer and, and drawing. So there's three passes to get the, the storyboard finished the story. And then there was another, another pass where you're doing revisions and, you know, constantly doing so. Um, it was, yeah, you don't draw the, the film once you draw it many, many, many times. And I guess that's why, uh, you know, these major studios, it takes them a few years to actually bring a concept to the big screen. When you're looking at maybe a, a 90 minute animated movie, it's just working on the characters and the story over and over again until you get it right. And it's always funny to me because if you watch a full length feature animated film and I always see directed by and I'm thinking, how do you direct an animated film? What What is their talent in the areas of animation? I mean, you can't tell the character going, no, could you show a little bit more anger this time? You know, let's roll the film. <laughs> it doesn't work that way. So what does the director actually do when it comes to an animated film? Uh, it's it's all of those things. Um, you can't do it. See, live action, you're doing it on the spot. You're working with an actor and you're, you're pulling that out. But... Uh, you do everything beforehand as a director. So you're doing a lot of research and you're thinking, hey, how is this character? How do I want them to act? And you're pulling in references online or uh, you go to YouTube and you see something like, oh, kind of like this performance over here. And, you know, you're getting the person, the animator, some some live action reference and, and various things that you want to see and maybe like illustration or or something. And then, you know, uh, you work with them. So when, like I say, you have a rough pass and then you have a clean pass, um, at the rough stage, you'll have a look and you'll say, okay, we're not hitting it here or let's make some changes here. So there is a lot of, of going back and forth that way as well. But it's mostly upfront, and the more you're prepared in animation, the better you're going to be. It almost sounds like mind-numbing work, especially if you're doing an animated film regardless if it's a short or a feature but where there's actual dialogue to me 
that really seems far more difficult than doing a dialogue-free version. But, you know, we all grew up as kids. We know what it's like to watch cartoons that are completely dialogue-free. We know what's going on. We, you know, we know the story and we're just soaking it in and enjoying it. So we don't have to hear the characters talk. No, no. And that's, that is a nice thing. And it's also, I mean, it works for my film and I wanted to, it was a choice, but it, it was also a great choice for, for funding and, and money because dialogue in animation, you have to do that up front when you don't have the animation, you have voice actors coming in and you're directing them to what you want in your mind. You're visually visualizing the scene and you get them to perform. And then you take their voice and you animate to that. So it's just an extra step beforehand. And it's, it's costly because you're in sound studios, which, you know, sound isn't cheap. Wow. So it's a real, so being voicing actual characters, it's really, a lot of back and forth with oh, the animator. Yeah. Okay. Well, well then let me ask you, yeah, no, go ahead, Sean. Uh, yeah. You would, you would have your, your voice done and locked uh, before the animator comes in. So once you have that, you know, you're, you're just dealing with the, the animator and the performance side. Yeah. Well, I'm not well-schooled in the art of an, uh, animation, but I remember the days of Disney hand drawing and flipping back and forth with paper and gels to create movement. What process did you use to create the animation? Um, so I'm using kind of the same technique as the old days of paper. Um, so it's all hand drawn, but these days now we've moved on from paper and it's drawing directly into the computer. So you save that step of, of scanning every drawing. Um, so it's all hand-drawn movement and um, 24 frames per second. So you're doing a lot of drawing to get that movement nice and smooth. And uh, yeah, it hasn't really changed since the Disney days too much, to be honest. <laughs> Well, you know, you know, it was funny because I was watching this short video of this animator and he was talking because he was way back in the day when it was literally just doing all of the art on paper. Mm -hmm. Then the computer age came to be and they said, hey, uh, you need to start learning how to do this on computer if you want to keep your job. Uh, so did you did you have to go from paper to computer in in your 20 years of experience or when you started, was the computer age already there? Yeah, it was funny. I was right at the turn. So when I went to school, I studied classical animation and it was all hand-drawn on paper. So we flipped and that's how I, I was taught animation. And as soon as I graduated from the Vancouver Film School, I went into the industry and they're like, okay, we're going to try this uh, new thing. Flash, we're going to draw it all in the computer. And it was just, that was it. I thought that was, that was going to be just a one-off kind of thing, but it just never, I never had a paper job in my life. I've never drawn on paper, animated on paper. What was the learning curve like for you at that time? Um, it wasn't bad. I mean, I was young. Um, you know, you pick things up and they say, 
you know, we're going to pay you for this. You, you're going to say, okay. And it was good coming in at that point as well, because nobody had done it really. It was just starting. So we were all sitting in the room try, trying to figure this out together. And uh, it was a nice time really to uh, just come together and, and talk to people and like, oh, how are you doing that? And where's this? And yeah, it was, it was quite fun. Well, and now you're to the point to where you can literally teach others to do it. Oh yeah, no problem at all. And I have done some classes and, and things and it is it's nice to have that a chance to pass your knowledge on. It's, uh, I think it's, it's important as, as a filmmaker just to, to pass on the knowledge you have and, and keep it going because that's just. Well, it's an art. It, it's an art. Yeah. 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 And you know, and in the areas of the creative realm, all of us that, you know, have that creative talent or the creative uh, inspirations within us, we have to pass that down or it gets lost. And, That's it. And I mean, and, and for you, I mean, how many people are jumping into the world of animation? I mean, is it a lot? Oh, absolutely. It just keeps getting bigger and bigger. And um, even like live action films now have so many special effects and everything. We, we don't even think of animation as animation sometimes. Like we just think, oh, it's, it's live action. But there's so much in those films now that are actually animated that people just take for granted. It's incredible. Um, well, how much of, well, I know there's a, an absolute enormous difference, but to go back and look at, let's say, a, a Bugs Bunny or a Roadrunner cartoon or Tom and Jerry, but then you're looking at things like Shrek and mm -hmm. Frozen. Uh, what, is the, what is that animation process like to go from that to what we're seeing now? Um, that's a, that's a huge jump and, uh, it's, you know, that's very different. Um, and the amount of people on those films are just getting more and more and the departments are getting larger, but it's, it's funny. It's essentially mostly the same, um, department wise, you know, you're, you have your animators, your rough animators, you're having people who are tidying up the motion a little bit and you know they're not cleaning it up per se but then you have lighting and and stuff so there's a bit more going on but those things are all the same but what i find interesting is um like a lot of the blockbuster films and everything coming out now uh they have so many like de-aging and ways and uh, creature effects and everything else. It's so much animation everywhere all the time. It's, uh, and I, I've never done that and I have no idea how it's done. I'm very much the, the hand-drawn crafty person. But, well, uh, you know, it's funny because we now see the actors wearing all of the sensors. They're, they're, they may be wearing a, a chroma key suit or, or something to create the animation or what they do now for video games. But with your film Corvine, the animation is very storybook-like. Why did you choose that look? Um, it's the it's the look that I grew up on, and it's it's really for me. Um, filmmaking and animation is is mostly about drawing. 
it's about the craft of, of sitting down and drawing. And it is, like you mentioned a little earlier, it can be monotonous, it can be tedious, but it's just something that you kind of, it's almost Zen or like, you know, a meditation kind of thing. And you just start drawing and you're pouring all your emotions into this, this drawing and all these drawings and they're lining up. And then at the end of the day, you kind of sit back and you watch and you have this character that starts moving and it looks like it's thinking and has its own little life. And then it, it becomes, it comes from you, but it becomes very apart from you as well. And it's just something special about that. And, um, so I, I've always done hand drawn and it's just something that really speaks to me and I, I just love the, the quality of it. And so that's, you know, there was well, never any way that it was going to be anything else than that. The, the look of the animation is absolutely fantastic. I love that story, that children's storybook type look to it. But even with, with Suad's um, composing the score with this film, you, everyone who watches this film is going to place themselves inside that little boy because you actually feel and see the emotion as you're watching this film. I mean, we're part of it as we go along with the story. And um, for you, uh, what has been the response to this film uh, as it was shown at many of these international film festivals? It's been great, and it's something that I was really nervous about. And sitting in a theater for the first time, sharing this with people, and you know, you're just sitting back thinking, "Oh my God, is you know what's going to happen here?" And I couldn't even watch the screen, so I just kind of you're looking mostly at your feet, but occasionally you would look across and see how it is. And people, you know, were were quiet and they're engaged and they're looking, and you know it. it it was comforting then. And, you know, I even got a tear from one person. So it's just like, okay, it's, it's hitting. And when I came out of the theater, people are coming up to me and, and asking me about the film and saying how much they relate to it. And that's been a wonderful experience and even some surprising ones, um, because there is no dialogue. Um, I've had some questions about, uh, neurodiversity and, is he maybe on the autism spectrum? And it's not something I really thought about when I was doing the film. It didn't, but that's, you know, some people are resonating with that. And I'm just like, wow, that's, that's wonderful. And please, yes, that's, that's great. But it's not, it wasn't intentional in that way, but. I didn't even, you know, it's funny because I didn't pick that up, but I can see exactly what they received from that. So, Here's your film reaching a, a segment of the population that deals with autism that can absolutely relate to it. And yes. how beautiful, can you can't get more beautiful than that. No, and that's, again, that's the power that made me realize, like, okay, my, my option to make it accessible to everyone. But then you get that feedback and you're like, wow that was even beyond what I, I had imagined. And it's just, just one of those lovely things about filmmaking and sharing your work with people is just getting it reflected back. And it's just like, Oh, wow, that's, that's wonderful. I now 
does it make you, uh, are you already thinking about a second one? I'm, I'm doing some writing, um, trying different things. Um, I'm very early in the process and don't have too much, but uh, the story is, is darker. I wanted to try and push myself in a, a different way. It's going to be hand-drawn still. Um, but I'm looking at the Slavic myths right now and the Rizalka. They're kind of water spirits that drag people to their deaths in the water. Wow. Animated horror. Yeah. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> nothing. There's absolutely nothing wrong with that. I had a very dear friend of mine who, uh, well, he was a film director for many, many uh, years. They had 45 films and every single one of them was horror. So, yeah. Uh, and, and still one of the most popular film genres of all time. I mean, the moment they hit the screen, they know how to fill the seats. But for you, Sean, what's it like that your film was chosen out of all of these thousands of entries to be shown at the Tribeca Film Festival? Oh, it's, it's an unbelievable feeling. Anytime you get into any festival, it, it's wonderful. But then just having this extra big event and all the, the hoopla going on around it and just the, the excitement is uh, really something special and I'm really enjoying it right now. And, and uh, it's, yeah. And you're on your way to New York. I'm coming to New York. It's going to be a wonderful time. Can't wait. And, and how many showings uh, will you have at Tribeca? Uh, there are three showings for this particular program um, on the 10th, 11th, and 17th of June. And you're going to be at every single one? Uh, nope. I'm going to be at the first two. And uh, I can't stay for the entire festival, unfortunately. So I'll miss the last screening. Well, hopefully there's going to be some Oscar qualifying in your future with this film. And they'd be an idiot not to. Wow. Thank you. That would be a dream. And uh, like I say, I'm just enjoying the ride and whatever comes. That's how it goes. You know, I, I watch so many films I love short films, and for me, when I watch them, for the most part, you can pretty much know which ones have the ability to be qualified. Corvine has the absolute ability uh, to be qualified. It Again, ladies and gentlemen, this is an amazing animated short film. It, it tugs at your heart. Um, I'm not going to tell you the ending because you've got to see it. So I, I didn't want to give anything away here, Sean, uh, today about your that. film because there, I mean, even I was absolutely surprised, never even saw that ending coming. And I was like, wow, you couldn't have done it any better. Ah, thank you so much. That's a huge compliment. <laughs> Well, it, it's rightly deserved. And ladies and gentlemen, you've got to go to TribecaFilm.com. And if you can't attend the screenings in person in New York, you can watch Corvine online at TribecaFilm.com starting uh, June 19th through July 2nd when you sign up at their website. Forget all of this streaming. If you want to see real film, sign up at TribecaFilm.com. Uh, I've had the opportunity to see so many of these incredible films. 
And I can tell you this, Corvine is at the top of the list. I say that with all honesty and being genuine in spirit with this film. Uh, Sean, I've got to, I, I thank you so much for coming onto the program today and sharing Corvine uh, with all of us and uh, giving us a little uh, look behind the scenes of animation at the same time. Ward, thank you for having me. This has been amazing, and I really appreciate you spreading the word. It's, yeah, what a great, great time. Well, we're, we're going to be shouting this film, Corvine, from the rooftops. I can guarantee you that, Sean, and much success to you at the Tribeca Film Festival. And ladies and gentlemen, I want to thank all of you for watching the Ward Bond Show and catch the replay of our TV interview with Sean McCarran and his incredible animated short film, Corvine, on our new YouTube channel, Bond on Cinema. So, hey, I'll see you next time.